Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in. Busy, busy Monday edition of New York, New York. With yours truly, JJ Johnson-Stevsky. We're right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And the coaches may change. The players may change. But the end result for the New York Jets going up to Gillette Stadium always remains the same. For the better part of a decade, the Jets go to New England and get absolutely waxed. You can add Sunday's chapter as probably a top five nominee of Bill Belichick looking to embarrass, humiliate the New York Jets any which way he can. That's why I love New England going into this particular matchup. There was going to be no mercy, no let up whatsoever. The Jets preached all week, all last week, after their bye week against the Atlanta Falcons. And look, I'm not delusional. I'm not stupid. Well, in some cases I am. In this case, I'm not. The Jets are not a good football team. They're not good. But when you preach for two weeks, not going to get off to a slow start. We're going to be ready to play. You can't come out of your bye week and basically be down 14 to nothing before you even cracked open your first beer. I mean, this game, let's call it like it is. It was over, over by about 1.30 in the afternoon. The Patriots are pulling out the trick plays left and right. I think Damian Harris just scored another touchdown. Mac Jones and Fury H. He's throwing these eight to ten yard passes. 
I mean, the Patriots didn't throw a ball beyond 15 yards, it feels like, in the entire football game. And yet the Jets were still not prepared for it. Humiliating, pathetic, shameful performance. Shameful effort. Shameful execution. You have all of that. And then to add insult to, I guess you could say, injury, Zach Wilson goes down in this game. And it was, in many cases, a matter of time, unfortunately, for this young quarterback. Because of the reckless style he's been playing with over the first couple of games of his career, combined with the Jet offensive line being in the state that it's in, you kind of had a feeling sooner or later Wilson was going to get popped. And was it a dirty hit? Yeah, to some degree. To some degree. But it's now another sort of hovering black cloud hanging over the franchise. Rappaport tweeted it's a PCL. At least for now, we'll have to wait on the MRI, which is coming out on Monday. It doesn't look like it's going to be an ACL. I do not get the sense, Wilson didn't get the sense, that this was going to be a season-ending type of injury. But any game that Zach Wilson is not out there, it's less experience. It's less opportunities to go and experience more growing pains. So that way, come next year, you're hitting the ground running. Remember, the same sort of thing happened with Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold got hurt his first year. Then Sam Darnold had to deal with mono. You don't love the idea of a first-year quarterback having to miss time due to an injury, especially an injury where, you know, if you aggravated something with the PCL, maybe it, dare I say, moves you to overcompensate and then Heaven forbid something happens with the ACL. We've seen that sort of stuff happen. But now you could basically count out Zach Wilson playing Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals, and he's definitely not going to play Thursday against the Indianapolis Colts. Another year where it feels like as a Jeff fan, you're saying, here we go again. You knew they were going to be bad, but you want to see progress. You want to see just glimmers, reasons for optimism. I don't got much for you, folks. I, I, I really don't. Do you want me to wax poetic about this coaching staff? Listen, it's early. I don't know if they're the right coaches or the wrong coaches. They've coached, what, six games? I'm going to reserve judgment on that. But you're not exactly in love with their defensive game plan today, are you? I know CJ Mosley didn't play you tell me C.J. Mosley's worth 30 points on the defense? That was not the Moss, Stallworth, Welker edition of the New England Patriots. I'm just throwing that out there. They have not exactly been an offensive juggernaut throughout the first six, seven games of this year. You made them look like one today. Now I got to wait on this quarterback. I see the losses piling up, and it's more woe is me. And it would irritate me to no end watching Belichick run up the score in these particular games. And he's got every right to do so. Listen, my feeling always with coaches running up the score, if you don't like it, do something about it. This is not literally. This is not even high school. These are not amateur athletes. This is top-notch competition. These are paid professionals that are doing a job. Your job is to stop the other team. You don't like Brian Hoyer throwing on you. You don't like trick plays. Do something about it. 
So anybody who's going to bellyache about Belichick running trick plays on you, you should be irritated at your team for allowing it to happen. And you could tell Belichick is getting I mean, Belichick, who is as stone-faced as it gets, he is hugging guys. He is shaking hands. He's like going down the line throughout his 53-man roster saying, you guys did exactly what I wanted you to do. There's one team that we must beat at all times. That is the New York Jets. He detests the New York Jets. Detests. And I think that's why his teams usually come and play the way that they do against Gangren. And the fact that they've been really good over a long period of time. And the Jets have not. So you can add another chapter of misery as a New York Jet fan. You hope and pray that your quarterback is going to be back on the field soon. And if you want a glimmer, I'll give you. I'm actually going to give you a glimmer tonight. Elijah Moore. Maybe you should throw him the football a little bit more. Will food for thought. Maybe that's something you want to see, whoever is playing quarterback. And I don't know. Maybe uh, I'm going to have to go and put pads on and audition and maybe be the backup quarterback for the Jets. I don't know. I, uh, I, I don't think I could survive one NFL hit. So, heaven forbid something happens, no. You know what? On second thought, I, I don't want to play behind that New York Jet offensive line. Now, much happier day if you're a New York Giant fan. And look, let's not proclaim the Giants who found a way to avoid one and six and are now two and five in the 2021 season are back and you should be pounding your chest and you should be super, super giddy. When is a win now? And you got to start somewhere. And on a day in which you didn't have Andrew Thomas, on a day in which you didn't have Saquon Barkley, you didn't have Kenny Galladay, you didn't have Kadarius Tony. You found a way. And what the Giants are able to do is flat out exploit the weakness that has been evolving and that has been developing within the Carolina Panthers. And that's the fact that the Carolina Panthers are lost puppies without Christian McCaffrey on offense. You combine that with their offensive line regressing, and what you got was a vintage Sam Darnold performance in his former stadium. You know, Sam Darnold had plenty of clunkers at MetLife Stadium over the last three years. That was a clunker of a Sam Darnold performance. And the Giant defense was terrific. Aziz Ojolari, who is a draft pick out of Georgia, who you've been wanting to see have a serious impact on the pass rush. He was all over the place. He was making plays. Leonard Williams was making plays. I mean, you had a 5-3 score for a good majority of this game. So the Giant defense was, for the first time all year, looking like the defense that we saw for a good majority of 2020. Were they taking advantage of just a depleted Carolina front? Maybe. I think the jury is very much out on if this is a one-game outlier or if this is the sort of defensive effort they can piggyback off of build on and you see more and more of it over the next couple of weeks and the Giants can somehow, some way, salvage their 2021 season. But I thought the Giant pass rush was all over the place. They played terrifically. Let's give the quarterback some credit. It's not one of those eye-opening, sexy Daniel Jones stat lines that if you're like a fantasy owner, you're going to be drooling over. But here's what I like. He played a crisp game. He played a clean game. And basically... Did whatever the Giants needed. I mean, Logan Ryan said it after the game. He was all leading passer, rusher, and receiver. A little tongue-in-cheek, obviously. But you obviously saw Daniel Jones go up and make the one-handed reception. You saw him make something happen running the football. That's always been a thing for him. 
that's obviously one of the strengths that he brings to the table. And the Giants do some trickery. The trickery obviously worked to their advantage. And you got to you gotta resort to that sort of stuff when, you know, you're in a position where you're not dealing with a full deck of offensive playmakers. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. My big takeaway from this game, clean game from Jones. Love it. Defense was terrific. And Darnold was horrific. And if you're looking for another silver lining, if you're a Jeff fan, at least for right now, I'm not like devastated and distraught over the fact that Sam Darnold is playing somewhere else. And I think Darnold is going to be one of those guys that will have some decent games. He'll have some bad games. He'll have some good games. And he'll be a pedestrian, average to below average NFL quarterback in that like 17 to 25 category, give or take, which is not anything to sleep over, basically, as far as saying goodbye. Carolina is probably at a point now where they're right there with my team and trying to thrust themselves into Deshaun Watson's sweet stakes, assuming, of course, Deshaun Watson is able to play, which, listen, good luck if you can figure that one out. You get a PhD, I think you get an MBA and a CPA all combined in a one if you could give me an answer to that question. I'll certify you. You don't have to worry about boards. I'll take care of that because I'm dying for answers there as well. Darnold was really, really bad tonight. Like, horrific. And I know he didn't have McCaffrey. I know the giant defense played well, but there was some throws from Sam Darnold. I mean, where it was like, whoa, what are you doing, dude? What are you doing? So now the Giants, two and five. We'll see what their situation is next week against the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll see if Patrick Mahomes is able to give it a go. I mean, that's one of the storylines that we're going to get to when we run around the league. But listen, you haven't had much to cheer about. It didn't have to be the prettiest performance in the world. Win is a win. You're a three-point underdog at home. Your defense played great. You made the other quarterback look awful. And your quarterback played a clean game. Take it. Run with it. But before you get super, super giddy, build on it. Build on it to a point where, all right, even if you lose Get me, can they get one of the Kansas City or Tampa Bay games? Can they can they get one and then beat the Raiders? Giants want to show me this with something to build on. They'll go two and one in the next three games. What Giant fan listening is confident that they're going to go two and one in the next three games? Not many, but good son. You haven't had many. Take it, run with it. Good son. All right, we'll run around the league. We got a Nick game to react to. I mean, thank God I have the Knicks. That's all I'm going to say. Thank God I have the Knicks. And thank God I'm going to have Buddy Beheim in a couple of weeks because, I mean, my football don't, – don't even get me started with my football team, who continues to be just the bane of my existence. But we got a loaded show, wall-to-wall reaction, Football Monday. Where else would you rather be? New York, New York. We run around the league. That's coming up next. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. All right, so let's run around the league. And to me, the biggest winner, it's not even close. How about the Cincinnati Bengals? The Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase connection. You want to talk about a connection that has worked wonders. Now, our buddy Phil Sims, I heard him on the pregame, and Burrow was asked about it, comparing the two of them to Montana and Rice. Let's, 
let's put a little Jets on that. That was Joe's take. And listen, Phil might be right about that 5, 10, 15 years down the road. But like, anytime I hear Montana to Rice, I like French because there's only one Montana to Rice. But the Bengals are now 5-2. and two. To go into Baltimore and whoop the Ravens the way that they did. To get three touchdowns, 416 yards from Burrow. And then how about Chase? Eight catches for 200 yards and a score. I think we can acknowledge that the dropsies he was dealing with in the preseason were a whole lot to do about nothing. And that is why we will forever on this show never really take into account what you are seeing in preseason football. It is what it is. Bengals, they're looking like a playoff team. And they're looking like a team that maybe could win this division for all we know. Winning in Baltimore, that's an eye-opener. Packers, they continue to roll 24 to 10 over the football team. And I feel for our guy, Eagle Eye Picks, who in our Spotify green room had the football team. And if you had the football team to cover this number, I think Jeff Money did as well. That is, that is cool, folks. I mean, that Taylor Heineke touchdown ends up getting overturned. Uh, the interception he ends up throwing. Like, it was just one of, they go for it on fourth down Green Bay and they hook up with Devontae Adams on like a fourth and four when teams never do that in the opening possession of the game. Like, that was a very cruel way to lose a football team plus wager. But the Packers, another team that people wondered about as far as distractions with Rodgers and whether or not it's going to be his final year, they continue to roll in the regular season. That is one thing I've seen with the LaFleur, uh, the LaFleur, Hacker, Roger, duo, tandem. They win games. They beat bad teams. They do that again here on Sunday. How about the Tennessee Titans? The Tennessee Titans embarrass the Kansas City Chiefs. If you're wondering, when is the last time that Patrick Mahomes put up three points and lost by 24 points? In the regular season, I can't find you an example. Think about it. They have been the definition of an offensive machine. Mahomes was awful. Awful in this game. Didn't throw a touchdown pass. Gets knocked out. Was a little bit of a dirty hit. Can understand that. But I don't want that to be the story. The story is that Kansas City's defense stinks. They had no answer for Derrick Henry. They had no answer for A.J. Brown. And the high-powered Kansas City offensive attack is held to three points against the defense. It's not that great. I don't know what has happened with the Chiefs. I don't know if it's the book is out on what they're looking to do and that teams have finally maybe caught on to Tyree Kill strategies or pressuring home strategies or taking away Travis Kelsey. Whatever you want to pinpoint. And I don't have a great answer for you because it's perplexing to me how an offense that even in the beginning of the year was putting up a ton of points, they have lost their way. They will eventually find it. I am going to keep pounding that until the cows come home. Maybe not from a Super Bowl perspective. The Chiefs will still make the playoffs this year. I want that on record. I'll bet it if I have the opportunity to do so. The Kansas City Chiefs will still make the playoffs because the middle of the AFC is still wide open. They still basically control their own destiny. I'm going to throw a caveat in there, assuming Patrick Mahomes is right. I think that's a fair caveat. Assuming Mahomes is not going to miss a considerable amount of time, I still would put my money on the Chiefs to make the postseason. That's a very impressive win for the Titans, who are now 5-2. and two. And for the Chiefs, listen, 3-4, and four, it's soul-searching time. Giants go in there next week. The game of the 1 o'clock slate and the game that basically made me sick to my stomach, and I'm still sick to my stomach because 
it's really hard for your football team to lose on the final possession of the game in back-to-back weeks. It's really hard. I, I actually cannot think of a time in my years of being a Dolphin fan where that has been my existence. Well, guess what? It is my existence in 2021. And the existence and the reality of my team's situation is they're an abomination at 1-6. This season is over. I didn't even have trick-or-treaters yet. And the Dolphin season is over. So let that sink in for a minute. This game was nutty. Dolphins scored on the opening possession. Then two to a terrible pick. Miscommunication with Durham Smythe. Basically didn't want to throw his guy under the bus. End of the first half. Falcons score a field goal. They're up six going into the locker room. They go up two scores. Dolphins are fighting back. They get a big turnover. Tua with an inexcusable play. And the Falcons go right down and score. And then I'm like, all right, this game's over. 13-point game. I don't know why. Uh, I was going to call him Quinn. Arthur Smith. I don't know why Arthur Smith, up 12, is not going for two. Terrible math. I don't know who's advising him necessarily on the sideline. But that's one you definitely want back. They're lucky it didn't bite him in the ass. We would have been talking about it all show. This is where Tua showed me something. He's got all this Watson shit going on. Clearly, the Dolphins are flirting with another quarterback. It's the worst kept secret in the world. And two would have bounced back, down 13, lead his team on a couple of drives to take the lead. That's showing me some utzpah. That's showing me some stones. Dolphins' problems go way beyond their quarterback. I want to make that perfectly clear. If you think two is the reason they lost that game, you weren't watching the same game I was watching. Because they had a lead. Under two minutes to play, and I got to watch Kyle Pitts go right down the field. I got to see the Dolphin defense get punked, never get the ball back, and then a game-winning field goal for the Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta is probably feeling really good about that Kyle Pitts pick right about now. They have salvaged their season. They're back to 500. they They're alive and well. The Dolphins, on the other hand, let's not just talk about the quarterback. Let's talk about the fact that they traded down in the draft. They passed up Kyle Pitts. They passed up Jamar Chase. Jalen Waddle's a good player. I like him. I have no problems with Jalen Waddle. They moved down, made that move. These other two guys are off the charts. There's that. Then there's a defense that went from a top 10 unit last year to one of the worst defensive units in football. They can't get off the field on third down. Everybody's dashing them. They're awful on defense. Their front office, their scouting is a joke. Their head coach, who everybody, myself included, was kissing his rear end a year ago. He's been off. Don't look at the Dolphins situation and say, oh, it's just about Tua. It's not that simple. And if that's the point you're hammering home, you're not watching the same games I'm watching. They're a mess. And if I own the team, forget about Watson for a minute. The GM would be as good as gone at the end of the year. Good as gone. How do you watch what you've seen from a drafting standpoint? You say goodbye to veteran players who are useful and helpful. Get rid of all of them and see your team turn into this. And say, you know what? I like their plan. Dolphins continue to play like this. I'm cleaning house at the end of the year. And I like Brian Forrest. But, like, what are you supposed to do? If they go 3-14 this year, you're going to run it back? And they're not a quarterback away. That's a dirty little secret. A lot of people thought last year the Miami Dolphins were a quarterback away from being like the Super Bowl team. Have you watched their games this year? I think you would reassess that. Thought. Raiders couldn't have been more wrong on this game. 33 to 22 over the Philadelphia Eagles. And I got to stop betting the Eagles. You know, I've gotten away with it on a couple of different occasions. I really got to stop betting the Philadelphia Eagles. Carr, how about Derek Carr? How about Derek Carr? 31 for 34 with 300 plus yards. 
torching that Eagle defense. The Raiders coming out and playing the way that they have after the Gruden fiasco. You know what it leads me to believe? That maybe they're better off without John Gruden. I mean, they just won at Denver. They just smoked the Eagles. Who says they need John Gruden? I don't think they're missing them all too much. And they are now 5-2 and two on the year. Give credit where credit is due. They have kept this season afloat. And now at 5-2, and two, I don't care who's coaching the team. You can start dreaming. You can start thinking about the postseason. Give the Lions credit. They threw the kitchen sink at the Los Angeles Rams in this game. I'm talking onside kicks. I'm talking fake punts. I'm talking about handling this game, going for it like it was a Madden game. I love the way that Dan Campbell and company approached this game against the Los Angeles Rams. Wasn't good enough. They lose by the score of 28 to 19. And listen, the quarterback is not even good. I mean, Goff is awful. He is awful. Throws two interceptions. Detroit is clearly going to have a new quarterback next year. You've already had the coach basically throw him under the bus. And Matthew Stafford against his old team. Flat out beast. 300 plus yards, three touchdowns. Big win for the Rams. Six and one on the year. It's amazing they're not in first place because the Arizona Cardinals continue to roll was dicey for a quarter and a half. And then basically Kyler Murray and company said, well, enough of that. Kyler gets going. Earth scores a touchdown. Hopkins scores a touchdown against his old team. And it's all Cardinals 31 to five. Uh, Houston, Houston is the worst team in the league. From what I've seen so far this year, Houston is the worst team in the league. That's why people are talking about the Dolphins as bad as they have been with a top three pick. I do not think they'll end up with a top three pick. It'll be bad, but I think it'll end up being like a six to seven. My gut feel. And then the Bucs continue to roll. 38-3 to over the Bears. And you want to talk about a quarterback that just does not have a chance. Justin Fields at this point in time does not have a chance. He threw three interceptions. He threw for under 200 yards. Um, a lot of people were glowing and waxing poetic about Fields in the draft process and in the preseason. I know he's in a terrible, terrible situation. He is. Let's, let's acknowledge that. And I'm not, like, ready to abandon hope on Justin Fields, but the, the coronation that he is the, the chosen one in Chicago, let's, let's calm down with that. Let's get him a coach who's got a plan. Let's get him some offensive talent, and then we can evaluate that. Right now, I'd be worried about Fields. I'd be worried about that whole state of affairs in Chicago. Tampa Bay was missing everybody, and they still destroyed him. I mean, Nance and Romo were basically messing around the entire broadcast. It was like, we're bored. We need something to talk about, so let's have some fun and basically just troll for three and a half hours. I had this game on a sound. See, this is the problem when you have a four o'clock window where the games are just absolute dog shit. I'm like, I'm listening to way much, way too much of the Buccaneers and the Bears. What's up with that? So as far as my big winners for week seven, big winner number one, hands down, the Cincinnati Bengals. Winner number two, hands down, the Tennessee Titans. And then the biggest losers, Kansas City's going to be one. The Miami Dolphins are going to be two. Miami Dolphins are going to be two because they're the most disappointing team in the NFL. Am I right or am I wrong? Where they were a year ago, to be one at six, horrifying. Again, my season is over before I even have trick-or-treaters come. That's all you need to know. All right. I need something to feel good about. The New York Knickerbockers. They're a team I actually feel good about. We got that. We got your calls, which I always feel good about, whether I like them or not. And it will set the stage. World Series, Monday Night Football, reaction to the Colts and the 49ers, all that more. We're coming right back. Before we get to some voicemails, I figured we were going to be riding high after the Knickerbockers destroyed the Orlando Magic on Friday. That unfortunately was not the case. And in many ways, Sunday night is a lesson to why you should never, ever, 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 ever lay 12 or 13 points in 
a regular season NBA game in the month of October. Like you're just flirting with disaster when you decide to do so because you never know if Terrence Ross and Cole Anthony and the Orlando Magic are going to overwhelm the New York Knicks in the fourth quarter and you end up getting a pretty disgusting collapse. Now, not the end of the world. You're going to lose games like this over the course of an 82-game season. It's not a good night for the Knicks. I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. Even though Derrick Rose did everything in his power to try to bring the team back in the final couple of minutes, not good enough. And now the Knicks 2-1 on the year. And it sets the stage for what will be a pretty intriguing Tuesday night game. And I think a good measuring stick game against the Philadelphia 76ers. You're going to have games like this. I hate to be the guy to tell you that. You're going to have games like this. But what I loved and what I appreciated so much out of the Knicks last year is the way they were able to turn the page. They'd have a rotten night. The effort level would be brought up times a thousand the next time they'd hit the court. Didn't necessarily mean they were going to go and win the game, but you knew they were going to bring it. You knew you were going to get effort. That's what I expect on Tuesday against Philadelphia. And thankfully all as well as far as the Mitchell Robinson front. And listen, Orlando, despite the fact that they are a, you know, a total mesh unit with the team they're running out there with injuries, uh, the vaccine stuff, you name it. These are professional athletes. You get embarrassed. Very easy to come back the following time with a little chip on your shoulder. I think the Knicks for two and a half quarters thought they were going to skate away with an easy victory. Didn't happen. They let it get away from them. Orlando went off in the fourth quarter. They deserve to win the game. Give credit where credit is, though. Go respond on Tuesday night. Uh, Some effort from the Nets today against the Hornets. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I was not dialed into this with all the football going on. But that, that is some effort uh, against the Hornets, giving up 32 points in the fourth quarter. Some effort. Some effort. Listen, it's early. As much as I want to troll the Nets and uh, give their fans a little bit of a hard time, it's early. You know, one and two through 82 games in an NBA season, you'll be fine. How about Charlotte? Three and oh. You know, I actually thought about giving out Charlotte as a potential over, and I'm kind of mad I didn't. But listen, coulda, shoulda, woulda. All right, voicemail time. In case you're wondering how to get in touch with Big Bad New York, New York. Very easy. 917-382-1151. That is where we work our magic. We'll have a show Tuesday night right after Knicks Sixers. We'll be rocking on that front. And then our Football Friday pod, which will be Arthur Caesar and Jason Katz and all of our usual suspects. And who knows what surprises we have in store throughout the course of the week. This is actually a very, very busy week for us. So we're going to have... Busy week. Stay tuned. All right, voice bell time. So, Rudy, what do we got? JJ, this is Jeff from Connecticut, and I am disgusted. Disgusted. We're driving back now for Foxborough, and the Jets didn't even show up. They had a week and a half after a bye week to show up, and they're down 14 nothing. Five minutes to the effing game, JJ. Why? Why? And then the quarterback gets knocked out. I don't know what to do myself. I'm standing there with a bunch of half hands, just losing it. Losing it, JJ. Why? Show up. Yes, we can have. We can have. Show some guts. Nothing. I got nothing. Nothing. All right. I'm disgusted. Bye. Well, I hope that helped, number one. I hope you were able to get some things off your chest and that ride back from Foxborough wasn't just an out-and-out nightmare. Uh, My first question to you would be, after what you've seen in Jet Patriot games over the last two decades of your life, 
outside of the playoff win with Rex and Mark Sanchez, why would you go up to Gillette Stadium? Why? You want to tell me you're going down to Miami? Like, I'm going to Miami for Giants and Dolphins. It's probably a bad decision, but at least it's going to be South Florida. It's going to be beautiful. I'm going to get sunshine. I'm going to go to the pool. I'm going to sip mojitos. I'm going to play golf. Like, I'm going to have things to look forward to other than the albatross on the football field that I'm going to have to see for three, three and a half hours. That's just, you know, a, a part of the adventure, as they say. It's a part of the adventure. You're going to New England in late October. I mean, it's a little chilly. Your football team stinks, and you never win there. Never, ever, 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 ever win there. And that's why today was like a measuring stick game for me. I know the Jets are not going to be a good team this year. I know they're going to lose a lot of games. This is a game they have lost repeatedly for a long time. And this was the same game I've watched against the New England Patriots for a decade. I wasn't the least bit surprised we got this. Was it worse than expected? Yeah, 100%. Did Belichick take extra satisfaction in sticking it to the Jets? You can best believe it. But unless you do something about it, this is going to continue to be the case. And the problem you have is six games into this regime, you can't be gushing and waxing poetic. They have a lot to prove. Jury's out on them. But was this the same game I've watched in that stadium for a long, long time that you've watched for a long, long time? Absolutely. Who's next? You know, James, I wasn't going to call about my New York football Jets. It's John from Long Island, by the way. I wasn't going to call about my New York football Jets. I was going to sit in my chair in misery and let all the other lunatics that decided to sit through this game rant and rave about what a horrid organization we root for. And then, and then I saw the quote from Morgan Moses about how they were upset that the Patriots ran up the score. You were upset? You were upset they ran up the score? You went up. I'm on the street. I can't yell that loud. 54 fucking points. 54 fucking points. And a touchdown drive to Brian Warrior, who is 87 and is terrible. How can you be upset about that? That's on you. That's on you, Morgan Moses. That's on the shitty fucking ass defense. The offense that could do absolutely nothing. It, it, this is a nightmare. This is an absolute nightmare. Jay, I, Jay, I came into this season thinking positively because Look, all I need to see is growth. Not being attached to the result, wins or losses, felt liberating. But this is awful. This is torture. This feels like a human rights abuse. What the fuck am I supposed to do? What do I do anymore? I, I, I live in the city. There's no pumpkin patches around here. Fucking A, man. Dude, I get it. Listen, misery loves company. Your football team is one and five, and you're not in last place. So I'm right there with you. Your point on Moses bitching about the Patriots running up the score, grow up. I hate when I hear this from professional athletes. You are professionals. You have a job to do. You don't like it, do something about it. Now, Jets won't have an opportunity for revenge because they've played their two games against the Patriots. And much for the better part of the last decade, they lose the two games they play against the Patriots. Like, it's a rarity if the Jets can beat the Patriots. They did in the Fitzpatrick-Eric Decker game. I think that is the last time the Jets beat New England. That was in December of 2015. 
They beat them in 13 with Geno Smith, which is remarkable when you think about it. They actually have beaten the Patriots twice in like nine years. So if that makes you feel good, if that's going to allow you to pump your chest, go right ahead. I expected losses from this franchise. But the idea that you're non-competitive in these games, that you get embarrassed again by your arch nemesis, who takes satisfaction in sticking it to you. And then the boot, your quarterback is out, and he's going to miss. Now, I'm speculating here at least a couple of weeks. I'd be shocked if you see Zach Wilson Sunday against Cincinnati. And if he doesn't play Sunday against Cincinnati, well, then he's going to be out Thursday against the Indianapolis Colts. So then all of a sudden, the Jets go from 1-5 to 1-6 to 1-7. Yeah, that sounds about right. You need Wilson on the field growing, maturing, progressing. This defense getting better. This team getting better. And not seeing that early. We'll see where we're at in November. We'll see where we're at in December. But two months into this new regime, it's been same old, same old as far as I'm concerned. Next. JJ, Mike in Westport. Oh, God. The Jets. You know what? I'm, I'm curious what, you, what your take is. You'll probably go over it. Who knows? Rob Sala. What's, what's with this guy? What, what, like, you know, Judge is getting just, like, destroyed everywhere. And so far, Rob Salas had a pass. And I'm thinking, like, this guy is supposed to be some defensive guru. I mean, that's, that's what his background is from 49ers, whatever. It's just like, I don't see it. I don't see him doing anything. The defense is, is terrible. And it's just like, isn't that supposed to be his area of expertise? You know, they bring him in as a head coach. Uh, from San Francisco after, because he's, he's such a defensive star. He's doing nothing defensively. And it, it also, it also carries over to the offense because he, he's, he clearly knows nothing about offense. And unfortunately, they lost that, that quarterback's coach who died. That, I mean, that was, that was supposed to be the, the, the guru for, 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 for the quarterback and he's gone. They got a, a, a brand new guy, offensive coordinator. You know, they had 10 days to prepare for the Patriots. All I kept reading is, they got to start fast. They're going to start fast. They have a plan. I, I, stupid me. I was looking forward to like the beginning of the game. I thought we're going to see some really cool plays right, right off the bat. You know, they probably have scripted like 15 really, really cool plays. We're going to see gadget plays. We're going to see misdirections. They want to get down the field. They're not going to just, just, just be their usual selves. So what happens? First play, run. Second play, run. Third play, sack. They go nowhere. I mean, it's it's beyond belief. And I'm just thinking, like, Salah, I mean, is this guy is this guy Teflon? I know it's his first year, but, I mean, how is he going to get so much better? He's He just stands there on the sideline. You never see any emotion out of him. And I'm thinking, like, the Jets, it's just like, what's going on? Then they get the quarterback hurt. I mean, they could be in worse shape than the Giants, I swear. I mean, I didn't think that was possible. Uh, I'm curious what your take is on Salah. I mean, I know it's too early to make a definitive judgment. But boy, oh boy, it's just like he doesn't seem like he's uh, he's got the answers to me. Anyway, I love the show. i got to figure out how to get on the green room. I don't know how to do that yet, but uh, I plan on it because I want to talk to you uh, actually voice to voice. Take care. I love the show. Bye. Well, I appreciate that. And somebody's got to give Mike the green room tutorial. Listen, it's very easy to do. If Anthony and Syosset can do it, then just about anybody can do it. Let's just put it that way. Anthony and Syosset, not exactly a beacon of technological uh, excellence, if you know what I mean. Love you. I'm trying to give our guy Mike a little uh, reason for hope. And look, as far as your point on Robert Sala, it's way too early. I don't 
go nuts about what you see from a coach on the sideline. Listen, Robert Sala was the guy yelling and screaming like crazy when he was the Niners defensive coordinator. Right now, it hasn't been much to yell and scream about. The team is getting blitzed and waxed more often than not in a whole lot of weeks. You know, from that standpoint, there's, there's not a whole lot to celebrate. It's not a whole lot to be giddy about. I know defensively they're not going to look the same without C.J. Mosley, but it can't be that much of a difference. I'm sorry. The Patriots are not some high-powered offensive machine. They're not. You made them look like one today. I mean, Mac Jones was not throwing the ball more than 10 to 15 yards down the field, and it didn't even matter because they were executing at will. They had to catch and plays out, the trickery out. It was a game the Patriots knew they had to have, and they let you know from the beginning. They're not messing around. With this coach, give him till the end of the year, give him next year, and then you'll have a much better idea for what he is and what he's going to be about. And I'm not saying that you should be, like, kissing his ass and, and, and suggesting that, oh, now the Jets have their coach for the next 10 years. I don't know that. I don't know that. You want to think that they do, but you got to start seeing some results. First things first, got to get the quarterback back on the field because it's going to be impossible. And we went through this with Sam Donald which is incredibly frustrating. It is going to be impossible to figure out what you have until the guy is playing. And the Jets wasted some time with that with Sam because of injuries and mono. Two to go. What's up? Hey, JJ. Sean from around. Thanks for taking the call, man. Uh, another really brutal Jets game today against the Patriots. Um, listen, of course, it didn't affect the outcome of the game. The Jets game rolled either way today, but just seeing Wilson get obliterated on two straight plays. And I know I called you a few weeks ago with the Jets versus Falcons roughing the passer, where I guess the Jets got called for that flag in London on a textbook tackle. But these Wilson calls back to back plays are not roughing the passer. And you know, the NFL is too good of a sport. I get too much enjoyment out of it. Obviously, I'm not going anywhere as a fan, but it's just so frustrating that clearly there are the haves and the have nots as far as the teams that get the calls and the teams that don't. And again, not that it affected the game today, but just seeing what's going on week after week, it's just so unbelievably frustrating. And uh, hopefully Wilson's okay. And at this point, so sad for the Jets, just rooting against the Seahawks now because hopefully the Seahawks tank as well. You know, the Jets will have two top 10 picks because the season's going nowhere. But uh, on a little lighter note, JJ, I want to know your take on the college football overtime rules. I didn't even know about the new system. Watching that Penn State game, was a real search at the end there in Penn State. What a disgrace that was. They can't catch any kind of score from three yards out against uh, Illinois over and over and over again. Um, I'm going to the game as well against Michigan in a few weeks. I was hoping there will be a lot of juice to that game. But just wondering what you say, kissing this new college football overtime rule. And it was very entertaining, but I'm not sure if it's the uh, best thing moving forward. But uh, hope you had a good Sunday, JJ. Sorry about the Dolphins. And uh, talk to you soon. Take care, man. Appreciate it, Sean. You know, our bet that we made preseason is going to end up being a real bond burner. Let's put it that way. Oh, my goodness. I mean, can we, like, both forfeit the bet? I mean, with your quarterback getting hurt, with my quarterback missing time, and with the Jets and the Dolphins losing every week, I mean, this is like a battle of ineptitude. I mean, between that and the bet I had between the Giants and the Dolphins with the great Bob Riggio, one of my golf partners, one of my good buddies from the Cuse in Brooklyn, um, he actually was all giddy, not about his Giants. He was all giddy about the fact that his team won and my team lost. He said significant for the uh, the beat that was made with the Giants and the Finns. He's right about that. See, the Giants and the Dolphins and who ends up winning that game, that might 
basically boiled down to what we see uh, that first Sunday in December. As far as the college football overtime rule, it's a little bit insane. Now, I've always been of the belief that I don't like the college overtime the way it was set up. I don't like the idea of these teams getting the ball at the opponent's what, 25 or 30 yard line. I'd rather see some semblance of football. And then if you got to go into the quirky gadget type of stuff, I'd live with it. I've never been a big fan of the college overtime. And I know it's an unpopular take going back in the day, but was never a big fan of it. So this is a little out there. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a little out there. All right, last but not least, the brutal loss for Penn State. Oh, my goodness. Brutal. I know the quarterbacks hurt, but that is ooh, brutal, brutal loss. Last but not least. J.J. Anthony and Syosis, uh Sunday morning. I'm sure your uh, episode is going to be pretty football heavy, but I just make a baseball point. Uh, you got the Braves now in the World Series, and they're going to be playing the Houston Astros. I'm actually looking forward to it. Uh, I'm sure the majority of the Yankee fans that listen to you are going to be, if not all, I don't see why they wouldn't, are going to be rooting for the Braves here. Um, I imagine the Mets fan will root for the Astros. But that's not the point of my call. So the Red Sox lose. Um and I go out of my way to watch the post game because I want to hear Cora because I think you and I are pretty much on the same page with this guy. I hate him. I can't stand him. But there is a level of respect there in, in seeing what he's able to do with his team and how he gets his players to play for him, however that is. All right. So one of the reporters asked Cora, how do you equate your team basically being on fire, you know, back to back grand slams, 12 runs, whatever it was going ice cold and when i say ice cold jj three runs in the final three games other than the first two runs that were scored i believe it was in the first inning of game four they went 26 innings the final 26 innings of that series and they scored one run so i think that was a legitimate question and what cora said to the reporter is that he gave a lot of credit to the catcher so he's talking about maldonado and that Maldonado obviously caught something. Now, whether he he caught his pitchers tipping pitches or whatever it was, that he caught something that he made an adjustment to. An adjustment. He called it an adjustment. Whatever the fuck that adjustment was, JJ. Again, it went. It it it, it locked down a team. It neutralized a team that was hitting a grand slam every fucking inning, and it limited them to three runs in three games, a shutout in game six, and one run over the final twenty innings. My question to my fellow Yankee fans, between the catcher that we have and the manager that we have, do you have any faith that in a similar situation, in a similar series, in a similar big spot, that that fat state catcher could make that adjustment? Or that our manager, and I put manager in air quotes, our manager could lead him to the same mindset? They said something very interesting in that post-game show. They said if you have a catcher like Maldonado, who goes 1 for 28 or 29 or whatever it was, you can live with it because of what he can do behind the plate. Uh, with us, say no more. So I know we're going to be talking about this a lot more come hot stove, but look what can be done when you got guys that can actually play and manage the game. And it's not just home run or bust. I'll talk to you later, Disco. Excellent call, Anthony and Syosid. And yes, the impact of Martin Maldonado was definitely felt in guiding those Houston pitchers through game four, into game five, and then a dominant performance in game six. Where Tucker hit the big home run. We had the big strike him out, throw him out, double play, which basically changed the entire complexion, I believe, of the top half of the seventh inning. And, you know, the Astros were the better team. 
they will fight out the better team. I was very happy about the result. The emotional hedge worked as predicted. That series changed in game four when they got to Evaldi in the ninth inning. And if the point you were trying to make is that the Yankees need a top flight, top notch defensive catcher, I'm not going to fight you on that. Even if it is a split share with Gary Sanchez, where you say goodbye to Higgy and you get an upgrade, whoever that guy may be, Jan Gomes, Roberto Perez, I don't think Vasquez would end up being a Yankee. I think he's going to end up staying in Boston, but you get my drift. Listen, across the board, wholesale change is needed with this everyday lineup. And we're going to get into this a lot more over the next couple of weeks. Uh, hopefully this offseason proceeds on schedule. We'll have to wait and see on that. But I do not want the same cast of characters coming back to the New York Yankees. Been there, done that. I'm resigned to the fact that the manager is coming back. That is not something I'm happy about, but it is what it is. I'm not going to yell about it at this point. It's over. It's done with. But roster change is a must. There was something to come out of the Yankee land today that I'm going to get to before we say goodbye. Something in Metland that I would be very encouraged about. Plus, World Series this Tuesday. And I have a confession. I have a confession. It might bother some Yankee fans, but I have a confession. And I have a pick on the World Series. We'll wrap it up with a bang right after this. Before we say goodbye, I, I didn't expect to bring up something of newsworthiness from a New York baseball team in this particular podcast. But when I saw this story today, I'm not going to lie, it really agitated me. And Bob Clappish, who we have to have on the podcast over the next couple of weeks, says I love him. I think he's as well-connected as it gets. He's my favorite person on the Yankee beat. I love Bob Clappish. Can't get enough of Bob's work. He got this scoop from the Yankees that in June, Gardner, who is beloved in the Yankee clubhouse. You're not going to find a player who's got a bad thing to say about Brett Gardner. Not a soul. The spider tack thing comes up. And, you know, he's having some fun. He had some pine tar on his hat or something. Was was messing around. And Cole basically lost his mind. Saying, I don't appreciate that. I don't like that. Ba, 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 ba. Garrett, grow up. Grow up. You're a part of a clubhouse. That guy has been there for over a decade. He's well-respected. He's won. Left it off. You know what that shows me? And this scares me a little bit with Cole. Because I like Garrett. I think he's a fierce competitor. I think I'm not going to let one start yet define him for what he's going to be as a Yankee. Last year, I was very happy with him. And I was very happy with him up until that game up in Boston. But when I see a story like this, it bothers me because it makes me think you're too sensitive. You're going to pitch in New York. You can't have that mentality. It won't work. You're going to rub yourself in a position where, you know what, you're turning teammates off, especially when you spit on a respected leader. Gardner's probably not going to be on this team next year. That would be my personal take. Now that I see this story. I mean, I didn't think Gardner was going to come back anyway. Now, I definitely don't think he's going to come back. And my advice for Garrett Cole is to grow up a little bit. So, I, I didn't like seeing that story one bit. As far as the Mets, I don't know how this would work with Alderson. Sabian and Bochi would be perfect. 
it would be absolutely perfect. And I know Brian Sabian is an old school baseball guy. The guy's won three World Series championships. If it means you're bringing Bochi as the manager and what he brings to the table, I'd love it. The Mets would be knocking this out of the park if they end up with Brian Sabian and they end up with Bruce Bochi. I cannot endorse that enough. So that would be a slam dunk. We'll see if that ends up taking shape. Now, before we hit Jeff Money, what, what a performance by Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Talk about coming back, hitting the ground running. And I know it was a monsoon in Santa Clara. That is an ugly, ugly game for the San Francisco 49ers, who aren't the NFL's biggest disappointment because that title belongs to my team, the Miami Dolphins at 1-6. But we were big on the Niners this year. I thought they'd be a playoff team. I, I thought they'd go over 10.5 wins with ease. And I still think they will turn their season around. But Garoppolo, to me, with a team that has a first-round pick, even as raw as Trey Lance, you got to figure you took him so high in the draft. Sooner or later, he gets right, he gets healthy, you want him back on the field. And give Colts, Frank Reich, Carson Wentz, that team, pull out a praise and I give him a round of applause. They started 0-4. They looked like their season was a lost cause. They were 0-3, excuse me, because they won their first game of the year against the Miami Dolphins. But then they lost a heartbreaker to the Ravens the following week on Monday Night Football. They've played competitively. They were right there with the Rams. They were right there with the Seahawks when Wilson was a quarterback. And now they're starting to, you know, reap the benefits of their results. Once he's been solid. Not spectacular, but he's been solid. Indy could be a playoff team again. And it helps when you got two games against the Texans and you got two games against the Jaguars, even though they played Houston last week. So that's a good win for Indy and a whole lot of soul searching going on for Sarudis. Niners, who, no, cannot take the title for most disappointing team in the league. I refuse to let that happen. Sorry. There's only one team that's taking that title, at least on this show. All right. Jeff Money, let's hear it. Before we get a World Series pick, what do you got for Monday Night Football? And do you have a play for Game 1 of the World Series? Let's hear it. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This is going to be for Monday the 25th and Tuesday the uh, 26th. Uh, as far as Monday, tomorrow the 25th, you know already who I'm going. I'm going with the Seattle Seahawks plus the four and a half at home over the Saints. Now my second game uh, for Tuesday, I'm going to roll with, roll with the Atlanta Braves in game number one plus the 125. All right, JJ, again. Monday, rolling with the Hawks plus the four and a half. And then we're going to roll with the, we said, with the Atlanta Braves plus the 125 for Tuesday. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. And Seattle Seahawks will be a family play on Monday night. I know Joe is on them. He's looking to make it a four and one week. I will be on them. You will be on them. So we're across the board backing Geno Smith. So we should be saying our prayers on Monday. And I like the Atlanta Braves as well in game one. Charlie Morton going up against his old team. A narrative and a storyline to watch in this series. Both teams are going to score runs. Both teams play really good defense. The advantage for the Astros is in the bullpen. I don't think there's any doubt. The advantage for Atlanta has got to be within their starting rotation. Morton and Freed have got to come up big if Atlanta is going to win this series. If Atlanta is in the bullpen... In a lot of these games, it is not going to end well against the Astros. But I do think Morton is going to step up. I do think Freed is going to step up. 
And listen, you guys know preseason, I'm invested in the Atlanta Braves. I am letting it ride. I am not hedging this bad boy out. And you know what my confession is? And I was thinking about this Friday night as I was watching the ALCS. It's not going to bother me as much as I thought it would in May if the Astros win the World Series. I know a lot of Yankee fans are probably listening to this day. JJ, are you out of your mind? Are you drinking tonight? What the, what the hell is wrong with you? When did you go become such a lame Well, I'll tell you why. I love Dusty Baker. When you think about a baseball lifer, when you just think about a guy that you, you'd want to play for, it just seems like a great, likable, cool dude. Dusty Baker is exactly that. Like, I, I love that man. As much as I hate the Astros, and they got some smug players on that team, and I thought Hinch was very smug when he was the manager. I thought he was very unlikable. I thought he thought, you know, basically his shit didn't stink. I couldn't stand AJ Hinch. Dusty's got that quality about him where I'm like, I don't mind if this guy wins. And I'm not as angry about the cheating as I was a year ago. I'm not. You know what it is? The Yankees have regressed. The Yankees weren't as good as those Astros teams. Sometimes it's as simple as that. When you go to five straight American League Championship Series, when you go to three World Series in five years, I'm sorry. I don't want to hear about cheating. They're good. They're really good. I'm picking the Braves. I like the Braves on Monday night. I think the Braves are going to win the series. Am I going to be devastated if the Astros win? Not in the least. The Astros winning and the Red Sox winning, oh, it's a totally different dynamic, folks. And thankfully, Thankfully, the uh, Boston Red Sox are finally saying sayonara in 2021. I'm going to say Braves in six. Maybe it's my hard talking, but screw it. We're riding the future. Braves in six. We're back with a Tuesday pod. We'll see the status on Zach Wilson. We'll have a Nick game to react to against the Philadelphia 76ers and game one of the World Series. So it'll be a very eventful week. Fellas, outstanding job as always. JJ signing off. Big night, by the way. New York, New York, who's back, SNY, we're everywhere. We're here, there, and everywhere. Especially on this pod, three nights a week. That's where you want it. After a Monday, after a Friday, we do what we do. Enjoy your week. We'll chat to you today. Be good, everybody.